This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 153, Cannibals, part two. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for coming back. This is the second half of my conversation with B.J. Seip, the preacher at the Church of Christ in Danville, Kentucky, and host of the Set Your Mind Above podcast. Check out the first half if you have not already. True confession, this connection here to cannibalism is weak. But we've been personifying disease and death since long before Edgar Allan Poe picked up a pen or I picked up a game piece. We spend this segment discussing how to avoid being eaten up by the devil. This is what I've been playing. When we saw that Edgar Allan Poe's Mask of the Red Death had been made into a board game, we were quick to jump on board. Like the book on which it is based, and for that matter, like Poe himself, the game is pretty weird. <laughs> Death is walking the halls of the house, and guests have limited information about when and where it will make an appearance. The key is to get as much information as you can, as quickly as you can, and arrange to be somewhere else when death rears its head. It's easy to say, stay away from sin. But Satan, like death, is everywhere, and he's looking for a good meal. How can we stay out of his reach? Hmm. So I've, I've not read this book. And I've not played this board game, but how uh, uh, one of the things we are absolutely going to do when we get to link up in person is, of course, play some board games, because I know that that is your thing. (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about this game, and then I'll I'll respond to that. It's like a lot of games that try to take a a theme or an idea or a story or whatever and mash it into something that isn't designed to fit. You You get information about death will be in the parlor at one o'clock or he'll be in the dining room at two o'clock or he won't be here or he won't be there or whatever. And you try to piece together a timeline where, okay, I, I can move one space. I can get from here to here because in two hours, he's going to be in this other place. And I need to not go too far in that direction. I need to go in this direction here. It's all about acquiring as much information as you can and, limiting your exposure to the bad stuff, trying to put yourself in the right place. Okay. Right. Well, so I, I was keying in on that information aspect. So there's something that, that Paul says in second Corinthians chapter two, as we relate this to how do we avoid Satan? I'm a sports guy. Obviously one of the last podcasts I was on with you is with Terry Francis. We were on the sports podcast. Mm-hmm. So Justin Herbert is a uh, quarterback for the Los Angeles chargers. He was a quarterback for the Oregon ducks. And what has impressed me so much about him and what has impressed coaches is you look at his success and his success has been under within a span of five years. He had four different offensive coordinators and like three different head coaches, like completely different schemes. And so it didn't matter how well he knew the offense of his last offensive coordinator. When someone else came in, he did exactly what he did with his studies. He's a 4.0 student, graduated college with a 4.0 in biology, and yet still is is an excellent athlete. Why? Because he took the same approach to his sports as he did his studies. He studied up. Because if you don't understand the scheme, then you're not going to be ready when it's time to play. You know, you can't wing it and hope to get away with a win. You're not going to be able to. Paul says the following in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 10, let's start there. He says, anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, 
if I have forgiven anything, is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Right. Paul would put it this way in in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then, of course, he goes on to talk about what that looks like in putting on the full armor of God. But you see this this illustration twice of the schemes of Satan. You have to understand who you're dealing with. You have to know the enemy. You have to know the playbook. You have to you have to be studied up to understand. This is what Satan does. Satan is a liar. He is a deceiver. He's going to appeal to my sense of pride. He's going to appeal to my fleshly lust. He's going to appeal to my ego. He's going to you know all of these things. And if I'm aware of those things, just like a presupposition. As long as I'm aware of my presuppositions, it's going to help me to be more objective in a, in a given conversation. If I'm aware of Satan's schemes, it's going to help me to understand when perhaps I'm in the room with Satan right now, you know, that he right. is tempting me. He is right there. This is an opportunity that he's seeking right now. And if I'm not aware of that I, and I don't recognize it, I can fall right into his lap thinking I'm doing the right thing. I had an experience last night that I've been, I've been trying to think whether I'd actually include this. And I think I will. You kind of led into this, the idea of, of Satan prowling about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I, uh, I call it a vision. It, it wasn't a vision in the biblical sense, but it was, it's kind of a blast of spiritual insight. And it, it came in the context of reading about mask of the red death. And it came in the context also of hearing on Facebook just yesterday, noticing, I don't know how old the news is, but yet another of the couples that Tracy and I came up with 20 years ago, 30 years ago, is no longer married. Hmm. And uh, I don't know how many times this has happened in the last, especially the last five years or so. They're falling like flies. People our age who seemed on the surface, this particular couple, we hadn't seen them in quite a while. but. When we last checked, anyway, they both loved each other. They both loved the Lord. It didn't seem like there was any kind of danger in progress. Never would have seen it coming. And here we are. And I was seeing myself preaching in front of a big room of people. And Satan was in the room. And he was walking the aisles and kind of just checking things out very slowly, big black robe, no real face to speak of, just kind of checking the scene out. And he would go up to two teenagers who have known each other their whole lives and been faithful in Bible classes and such. And he points at one of them and that person disappears, Hmm. you know, and he goes to this other pew across the auditorium and there's two families there and these two couples hang out with each other all the time. And they've spent all the time together. The kids are the same age, et cetera. And he points to one of the married couples and they disappear, you know, and just, just picking and choosing like this, kind of like in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus talks about how 
Oh, one will be taken and one will be left. Right. Very much like that. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but I've been watching this for 30 years now. I've been watching Satan prowl the auditorium and he gets some of us and we don't know how, and we don't know why, but just, we wake up one day and these people are gone Mm -hmm. and, and it's just, it's astonishing. And it shouldn't be, I guess. I should be used to it by now. I think I'm getting used to it, which is a sad kind of thing to say. But the idea that he is devouring people, he's in the room as much as Jesus is. And we don't win all of these fights. Mm -hmm. It's a, I don't know if it's depressing exactly. It's more just kind of this revelation uh, of how things are going on in spiritual planes. Yeah. Because my solution has always been to provide people a way, right? To, to give people a checklist to say, hey, do it like we did it because it worked out pretty well for us or, or words along those lines. And I see people doing that. I see people making good decisions, or at least a lot of good decisions, and valuing spiritual things in many instances, at least. It's very easy to, to point to a particular situation and say, well, you know, you quit going to church five years ago and lo and behold, your marriage fell apart. You should have seen that coming. Well, that makes sense. But what about these people who are on the surface anyway, winning their battles right. with the devil, making good decisions, and the devil still gets them? Right. It's just death walking the halls. And it is, it's sad. I don't know exactly how avoidable it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I can do to stem this tide, as it were. Well, here's, here's where that stems from. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take yeah. heed lest he fall. I've seen the same thing happen to my friends where their marriages fall apart or something happens. This happens. And I get the same response when I've talked to several of them. At least, you know, if one remained faithful, for example. You ask them how they're doing, and the first word out of their mouth is, I never thought this could happen to me. Yeah. Like this always happens to someone else. But how do we get there? And I think where a lot of that comes from is we spend so much time telling other people to be on guard that we forget to do the same thing ourselves. Yeah. Like in Romans 2, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And I think in many ways, we have dedicated ourselves to teaching others. And so on the surface, it looks like we've you know, got our stuff together in our marriage or in our life or in our faith. But in actuality, I neglect to do the very things that I encourage others to do in their fight against Satan because, well, I'm, I'm untouchable, right? Not my marriage, not my kids, not my house, not my family. Yes, yours. And that's, that's when Satan is even more ready to strike is when I assume I'm safe when mm. I'm not on guard. I mean, how many times does Peter use the term be sober-minded or be on guard, be alert? Paul uses the same kind of language, but the apostles' point is very clear. They weren't saying that just for you. They were saying that in their own walk and in their own ministry. They were trying to be sober-minded and alert and on guard, and you need to do the same thing in your life because if you're not, that's when you're going to become that statistic because you might think this can never happen to my marriage. It can. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I appreciate the, uh, the personal pronouns that, that you use there because they're very well to be somebody out there who thinks that somehow preachers or elders or deacons or generally high achievers in the Lord's church, that they are immune from this kind of thing. And they should be, but then again, all Christians should be. And the bottom line is we don't examine ourselves like we ought to. Oftentimes we don't set ourselves up for success as much as we think we are doing. We make bad decisions. We get involved in the world. And one of the blessings, of course, of local churches is that we provide a safe haven for people who struggle, for people who fail, for people who are on the verge, as it were. Mm -hmm. But so often, and I'm thinking one particular marriage right now that crossed our paths, whatever, five years ago or so, where the marriage problems were deliberately and purposefully withheld from everybody in the church. They didn't want to talk about it. They had no intention of talking about it. And then when it was absolutely too late, yeah, we're going to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because we can't work it out. Did you try to work it out? Yeah, we, of course we tried to work it out. Well, you didn't try with me. You didn't try with the elders. As far as I can tell, you didn't try with any of your brethren. Right. This could have been fixed. Right. This could have been addressed early. Now, it may not have worked. You may have gone the wrong way anyway, but how could we turn a blind eye to the support for the thing that we supposedly value? You know, we made a vow before God and I'm not just picking on marriage or particularly. That's a great, it's a great illustration. We promise before God and our brethren and the wife's family and everything for better or for worse, as long as it's better when it turns worse. Hey, I didn't sign on for this. Yeah, you did. Right, you did. That's exactly yes, you what did. you signed on you for. You literally did. It is exactly <laughs> what you signed on for. Yeah. And that's and that's going back to the in our head, that's what they entered into marriage. They had an expectation, this idea of what marriage would and should be. And so those were just a formality mm-hmm. rather than an understanding of what marriage really is. And <laughs> you know, uh I think many times that's what happens in our life. I was listening to a song the other day and the lo- the song starts out life's not what I thought it was. I think I need a refund. And uh-huh. I I loved that line because it was this really open expression of someone who was coming to terms with the idea that their ideologies, their expectations were completely wrong. Right. And they don't like where they're at or the way things are going. But the way the rest of that song progressed is, but that's not the way that this works. Like I've got to, I've got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, life's not what we thought it was in Christ and in our fight against sin. And there's no refunds. Like y- you've, you've got to figure out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And the expectation is so flawed to think that my walk in Christ will be without trouble <laughs> when Jesus promised the exact opposite mm-hmm. in this life. You're going to have trouble. Absolutely. If, if Jesus himself was tempted in all things and yet without sin, what's to make me think that my marriage or my walk or what, whatever it is, is going to be without temptation or struggle. And I'm not Jesus. So there's going to be sin. Marriage is a good example of this, how we get sold a bill of goods as to what, marriage is and what marriage should be by the world. There's a, we've seen Sleepless in Seattle too many times. 
we've convinced ourselves that there's this ooey gooey feeling that's inside of us. I have a real attitude about sleepless in Seattle. I'll have a podcast episode on that one of these days, <laughs> but we, we just think it's magic. Yep. And if there's not magic or if there's not magic anymore, there must be something wrong yeah. with, uh, with what's going on in our, in our lives. And maybe yeah. there is, and, and maybe you can have that magic and wouldn't that yeah. be wonderful, but that's not a defining characteristic of whether you should or should not stay married to somebody. Yeah. Dr. Emerson Egret puts it this way. Is it Hollywood or the Holy word? How you mm-hmm. view your marriage, you know, Hollywood see it sleepless in Seattle yeah. or the Holy word. And, you know, this when Paul says, you know, if you've married, you know, you have not sinned, but you will have trouble. <laughs> and I love, <laughs> I love that. Like if you marry, you have not sinned, but you will have trouble. Well, what do you mean? We'll have trouble. Marriage is hard work. You're going to have trouble. It's not going to be magic all the time. Following Christ is hard work. You're going to have trouble. It's not going to be magic all the time. And we have the, the blessing of knowing, First John 4, 4, greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. That's right. But he's got to be in us. You know, we've, we've got to have that positive there. I was looking at Ephesians 5, 18. Usually we skip to verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is why we can't have a piano in the building, blah, blah, blah. But verse 18 kind of lines out the two paths to take, essentially. He says, uh, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm a big fan of not but phrases, you know, and and lots of times the the thing that's being negated is not necessarily a bad thing. In this case, it is a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it's always de-emphasizing one thing for the purpose of re-emphasizing something else. Right. And that's what he's doing here. He says, you're trying to make something out of your life. And there is a tendency from people who live in the world, and we all live in the world, to think that you're going to get it in some carnal, selfish, self-serving kind of way, like alcohol. Right. And you can fill yourself up with that and destroy yourself, or at least put yourself on the road to destruction, or you can be filled with the spirit instead. And he doesn't say here, do not be drunk with wine for that is dissipation. And if you get that right, then you're going to be okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. If you can manage to not be drunk, not being drunk is good. That's a really good kind of thing. But it's like Jesus says about the, the demon possessed man, Matthew 12, I think it is about the, uh, the the man who has the demon cast out and and the the more demons come in. It's not just about getting rid of the bad things. It's about embracing the good things. It's about filling ourselves up with good things, minimize evil and maximize Jesus. If we can do both of those things, we got a really good chance of surviving this battle. Peter says, you know, Withstand him, resist him, being firm in the faith. Just stick your hand in the face of the lion and says, no, not today. I'm not going to get eaten today. Right. That takes a special kind of person. But if you have the, the moral underpinnings and if you have the spiritual underpinnings that characterize the child of God as, as ought to be characterized, then you've got a really good shot at doing this. You've got a good right. shot at, at surviving this battle. Yeah. The, the Bible puts it this way over and over again in different ways. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Proverbs 8, verse 13. I must decrease that he must increase. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Uh, Romans 12, you see this repeated terminology over and over again. I put it, you know, I put it this way, you know, as you were talking about this, you know, not but ideology. You like board games? Playing Jenga 
is uh, really difficult if you don't put something back. Mm-hmm. Then you just have <laughs> nothing. You're just left with nothing if you just take stuff out. You've got to put something back that's better, you know, or else it's it doesn't work. You're not building anything. And in our lives, it's kind of like this spiritual Jenga where I've got to be pulling out the old and putting something better in its place, something from mm-hmm. God, you know, out with the old and with the new. It's funny you you mentioned peanuts. There's this bit between Lucy and Linus. And of course, Linus carried that old blanket everywhere. And uh, that blue blanket. And, and Lucy asked Linus at one point, well, what are you going to do with it when you grow up? And he says, maybe I'll turn it into a sport coat. And his idea is he's never going to get rid of it. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to he's going to hold on to it. And, and that's the problem that some face. Their fight against Satan is that they never stopped. They actually never started fighting against Satan. They never resisted him. They, they've just masked it as something different. And so Satan is ever present in their lives constantly. Mm-hmm. But sometimes our fight against Satan is because we resisted him, but then we never drew near to God and submitted to him and replaced those things with godly things. And so Satan comes back tenfold. And, and we can become like the dog that returns to its own vomit. And so it's, it's so important that as you take out the old, that you replace it with something that is renewed after the image of Christ. Well, you know, the, the blanket analogy works both ways, depending on whether you think of growing up as being a good thing or growing up as being a bad thing. You know, uh, there's a very real sense. Jesus tells us over and over again, you, we need to be childlike. You need to be like a child. And the idea of Jesus being a security blanket and always being there for us, and we never really outgrow him, and we find new and different ways to engage him in our lives, and we always feel that dependence. That's a good thing. But you can flip that on its on its end and think about someone who never grows up in the faith, someone who never develops clinging to childlike things, not clinging to the, the Lord, obviously, or, or to the word, but, but to your old habits, to your old friends, your old relationships or whatever. Hebrews chapter five, you know, we ought to be in this situation where we've grown out of these things. We've moved on to better things and we choose not to do that. We're more secure. We're more comfortable in this old environment that we've, uh, that we've had. We've gotten a long way away from capitalism at this point, but (laughs) that's good. (laughs) Yes. We'll give them something else to chew on. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. (laughs) But if we, if we can grow to the point where we are self-sufficient, at least as much as we can be anyway. If we are, are confident in our faith, we're able to, to develop and grow and mature in the Lord, then hopefully at least the things that are drawing us into death, the things that are putting us in the, the clutches of the devil, the, the roaring lion, they're not as interesting to us anymore. They're not as appealing to us anymore. We've moved on past those things. We've matured in our faith. That's the way it ought to work, at least. I don't think it will work that way unless we try to. I think you give your average six-year-old the option of having ice cream for dinner every night. Well, that child's going to turn 21. He's still going to be eating ice cream. That's mm-hmm. that's the way of the world. Yeah. Uh, we need to encourage ourselves and encourage others to, to strive for something better than that. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. 
Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.